How would you explain your Kosovo tour in a few words? There's not a few words to explain it, to be honest with you. It made me feel, how can human beings do this to human beings? North Helmand province, the patrol went in and they went into the kill box. They got opened up on by the Taliban. I was there all day on the hill. Just happened to look up where I shot the dicker and there was two guys lying down. They turned out to be Taliban leaders. I fired my third shot and I counted in my head. One, two, three. You mentioned PTSD. How difficult has that been for you? Absolutely crippling. I've got a voice in my head I take meds for and it just says I'm vital. And there's been no support or help from the army no, at all? No, at all. You're gone, you're gone. Some days I wish I lost a leg or an arm because maybe I have something to show for my battle scars instead of having mental health or PTSD. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Craig Harrison is known as the world's deadliest sniper. He shares his fascinating story of how he held the record for the longest confirmed sniper kill. He also opens up about his PTSD and the shocking tragedies he has witnessed from Kosovo, Iraq and Afghanistan. This is the eventful life of Mr. Craig Harrison. Craig, welcome to the show, mate. No worries, Dodge. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very much looking forward to this one. It's been a while bouncing back and forth, hasn't it, to get yeah, us here? Yeah, We've... busy, busy man. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll go into that later yeah, as well. Yeah. Where did you grow up and how did you get the world's longest sniper kill? Jesus, that's, that's two that's questions so, yeah. there, you know what I mean? Um, I was born in Cheltenham yep. in Gloucestershire and um, I was sort of, um, there's no job prospects in um, in Cheltenham at all. It's where old people just go and disappear and retire and stuff. So um, at an early age, I, had, I was sort of like mentored to join these forces because my mum was in the RAF. My dad was in the army. Oh, really? My granddad was in the RAF, so I joined the army. Yeah. You know, but I had horses uh, when I was younger. My my childhood was good, you know, and very blessed to have horses. And um, I wanted to become a farrier. And there's no in Cheltenham. There was no farriers taking on apprenticeships. What's a farrier? Uh, to put some shoes on the horses, right, like okay. a blacksmith okay. sort of thing, you know. Um, so I joined the household cavalry um, to become um, a farrier, mm. and uh, but. When you go in the forge in, in, in the army, you're time barred for a certain amount of time because they spent all that money on you. Mm. You just can't do the course and go, fuck it, I'm yeah. going to get out now. <laughs> you, you're time barred. You have to do a certain amount of bit of time. So, um, yeah, I, I started doing that. And um, I was a bit dyslexic when I joined the army. So when they set homework up, when I joined the Household Cavalry and went into my apprenticeship, they um, set you homework to do at night. And... I was doing more illustration work than actual writing. Mm. So it, they didn't like that. My shoemaking was all right, but my homework was very poor. So I didn't get a an opportunity to go down to Melton Mowbray. That's where the farrier school is, uh, to become a farrier. Mm. But trouble is, I didn't have a plan B. Right. Didn't have a plan B at all. I thought, fuck, 
I always had a plan A. Mm. And every time I talk to people now, I or, you know, young, old, or anything, I always say, have a plan B. Mm. You know, have a plan C. As a sniper, I always have a plan C, D, E, and F because mm. we're in this shit. You need to get out, mm. you know. And um, so I was in the House of Cavalry. Couldn't get in the forge. My dream was shattered. So I went AWOL and joined the French Foreign Legion. The yeah. French Foreign Legion? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't there long yeah. uh, because I was quite honest with them. I said to them I was AWOL from the British Army and they wouldn't accept me because years and years and years ago they would have accepted me because that's where murderers used to go and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept me. So um, they, they kicked me out. I was there for about four weeks and um, sent back to England and then went back to Knightsbridge got charged for being AWOL and uh, did 14 days in Nick and uh, then I started prize fighting. Did you? Yeah, I was doing all sorts. Wow. Yeah, I was going down a dark path that I didn't want to go down. Yeah. You know? how, old, how old were you when you started prize fighting roughly? roughly um, I must have been 18 Yeah, um, going on. Yeah. And I started, did it for a couple of years, you know, my face was bad. But then I realised that why is this guy coming back? I never got in trouble with the police. Oh, yeah. I did sometimes, yeah. you know. But um, I never got in trouble for doing the prize fighting. It was the fact I was going on Queen's Lifeguard down in Buckingham Palace, Whitehall, yeah. with black eyes, broken nose, split lips and stuff like that. And it wasn't acceptable for the household cavalry, yeah. you know. So <clears throat> my regiment split into two. So you got the reconnaissance armoured side, which is based in Windsor, and you got the ceremonial side, which is based in London in Knightsbridge. You know, and as a child, I was a lonely child. Yeah, I was always on my own. I didn't have many. I got one friend I'm still in contact with now, and he's the only friend I've ever had. Um, I've had colleagues and associates, you know, and um, so I was lonely anyway as a child. So becoming, um, where was I going with it? Come on, where I was going with it now. The prize fighting. Oh, the prize <clears throat> fighting. So to to do. To be in London, mm. getting a full wage packet, fuck me, I was a weekend millionaire. Yeah. And to have a short old childhood like I did, yeah. I was fucking all over the shop. I was getting pissed. <laughs> Girls, fucking drink, every yeah. fighting and everything like that. And I just went down a hole that I couldn't get out of. Eventually, I got out of mm. it. You know, I remember my last fight that I had, it was in a field in Gloucester. Yeah, bales of straw, and I fired this big fat guy with a white vest on with stains on, you know, typical Onslow looking person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he headbutted me, and I laid on this bale looking at the sky, and I thought, I'm done. I'm yeah. fucking done here. Yeah. So I got to my car, which was a battered old rover, not taxed, not insured, nothing. And I went back to Knightsbridge, and they said, What, well, you're going to Windsor uh, to the armored side? And I went, yeah, okay. I yeah. need to get out of London, you know. Mm. So I went to the armoured side and I just fucking excelled. Wow. I excelled because I love being outdoors. I love being a soldier, yeah. you know, and I don't think the ceremonial side was fulfilling that because I didn't have a plan B. Mm. And I realised after a while that I wanted to become a sniper, mm. you know. Amazing. What, what sort of trouble did you get in with the police? Um, ABH, GBH, just fighting, getting drunk and end up fighting. I realised after a while that um, lads were just taking me, senior lads of the regiment were taking me on the piss just to get me drunk, just to get, make me fight. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? And I sort of clicked onto it a bit and I thought, this is shit. This is, this is not what the army is about, yeah. you know, and I need to really concentrate. And mm. I wish I buckled down more at a younger age in the army and I'd have probably gone for um, SF, um, you know, because I went for it. 
um, at an older age, and I've got an, I've got an injury, mm. and I never really went back to achieve that role, and that's one of my biggest regrets probably is not, not getting not, not going for the special forces. Yeah, 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 not really concentrating. I remember my colonel at the time, um, um, Colonel Air. He's ex SF and he was the colonel of the regiment. And I was teaching down the sniper school for two years. And I remember him turning around to the chief instructor there and he said, That man should have gone somewhere else. Oh. And he said to me, That's what your colonel does, turn around. They said to me, because oh. I was doing, I was out and about. Yeah. And he could watch me through the binoculars. Yeah. He said, That man should have gone somewhere else. Wow. You know, and I, I always stuck with me that day. Mm. And I wish I carried on, but. 95% divorce rate. <laughs> what, the special forces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see why. Yeah. because All just, my friends are special forces. They're all, they're all a little bit different. Yeah. Mm. They've, you know, my wife stuck next to me yeah. for all the tours that I've done and everything. Fair play. You know, and she said, I'll stick next year if you if you choose to go SF ways. Yeah. Right? But she would never see me, you know, and I'm very close to my wife. Yeah. So. Uh, would you have chosen when you special forces? Would you have chosen SAS or... SBS. SAS. 100%. Well, yeah, because, because, because you're in the army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. SBS is yeah. Marines, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. So I would have gone that way. Mm. Yeah. What was it like for you then at that age then? You were prize fighting. Did you enjoy the prize fighting? I uh, did to start off with, yeah. and then I just got addicted to the money. Yeah. You know, you're you're fighting um, three fights a night. You can make 350 quid a fight, you know, and then the idea is to lose one because if you don't lose one, you, you got done over outside. Right, okay, for yeah, a few months. Yeah, because they're dicking you money because yeah, they yeah. think you're a cocky fucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they end up doing you. So always, <laughs> always, always drop one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I learned that the hard way, you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I got, I got into that role and I wanted to get out of it really. Right, okay. It's more of the money side. What did you see? <laughs> what did you see in that environment that you didn't like? Um, just, how dodgy it all was. Mm. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing? I'm in the British Army, for fuck's mm. sake. The British Army. And what am I doing down in a dingy old fucking gym yeah. with a ring? You know, it was like a proper pucker gym upstairs. Yeah. And they had to, a door, a corridor, and you go down the corridor, and it used to be a big, huge room with, do you know the cloister chairs mm. everyone sits mm. on? You had them on with a ring in the middle, and had a hole in the in the in the wall with a door, and that's where you go and put your bet. A hand would come out, take your money, and then a ticket would come out, you know. And I had two stairs on either side, uh, so one guy would come down one side, you come down the other side. You get in the ring and you have a fight, and that's it. So yeah. And what are the rules? Um, Free for all. It's a fr <laughs> no biting. No biting. Yeah. No headbutting. You can use your forearms or your elbows and stuff like that. Um, if you get him down, but there's a ref there as well. There's, a, you know, if you can tap out, you can go. Oh, I've done enough now, mate. Yeah. You know, when your face is all distorted <laughs> and all that, you think oh, I've done enough now. Get mate. me out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was your movements then in the army when you joined? What were your movements over those over those years in your sort of late teens, coming into your twenties? Um, what do you mean by movements? Your movements actually going into the army. How long yeah. were you in there for? When when did you start realizing I actually want to become a sniper? Um, when I first did my first Iraq tour. Um, what year was that? Um, Roughly. When did we go into Iraq? Was it 2004? Three, think. four. Yeah, we yeah. went into Iraq. Three, yeah. if I remember rightly. How old have you been then? Um, 20, 25. 25, okay. Yeah. And um, we 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 had to fight to get into this city called Alamava. And we fought to get into the city. It was heavily defended by um, Saddam Hussein's uh, Red Army. And um, the Americans went off to Baghdad. 
we went on to um, Alamara and then we went on to Basra. And that was our route we had to take. And the Americans went obviously straight to um, yeah. Baghdad. And then um, we fought our way into Alamara and there was a huge football stadium there. And we took over the football stadium and used it as our main logistical um, HQ. Yeah. So when the fighting died down and uh, we were doing more um, more peacekeeping and road patrols, um, I had a chance to go in the, and she had more chance, more downtime. So I remember, I thought, fuck, I'm just going to walk around the stadium. So I was walking around the stadium and on the top of the stadium wall were snipers placed and uh, there were Royal Irish snipers. So I went up there and um, I, I was looking at the view and I just started talking to this sniper. But he didn't take his eye off the glass yeah. once. He was maintaining his focus and everything. And when I saw them around the stadium, they get treated like adults because they got a different role than a normal foot soldier, yeah. you know, because they they are trusted with a precision weapon system with a, with a scope on it. Mm. And I started talking to him and um, I thought, this is what I want. This is what I want. But because I was with the Household Cavalry, because we were reconnaissance, there was no role for snipers in a reconnaissance role. Right. And so every time a tour finished, your sergeant major used to come around to you and say, what do you want? What what courses do you want to do? Because you need to do career courses. Because mm. you're out there for nine, six months. Yeah. And they say, oh, and I say, I want to be a sniper. And he goes, you can't. There's no role for it. Fair enough. Got back to England, want to be a sniper. And I just kept badgering and badgering. And finally, um, it's a bloke called, his role is called Drac. It is, it's something reconnaissance armoured corps mm. and he's in charge of the whole armoured corps and um he finally decided to let snipers into a reconnaissance role ah, and, uh, yeah and i went fuck i want to do yeah. it but you got to think in my <clears throat> regiment there were no snipers so i didn't have a pre-course i didn't have any beat up or any we call it a beat up so you beat you, you have a pre-course prior going on yeah. i had no equipment I didn't know what to take. So I went down the sniper school and I tipped up there. I was the only household cavalry one there. Mm. And um, they were all full of powers and guards. Mm. And they had all their ghillie suits out, the obs boards, the sticks, the rifles, spotting scopes, extra scopes, wind meters. I was like, oh, binoculars. I had fuck all. <laughs> I had absolutely fuck all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was like a ginger step kid. Yeah. <laughs> honestly. So I, uh, I was, I was, um, I, I was trying to. I, I said, well, I got, I got fuck all. What, you know what I mean? Luckily, a Coldstream guard goes. I got a spare rifle. I'll give you a spare rifle. Yeah. And every weekend I had off, I went back to the regiment, and um, I was in the tailor shop, and they gave me the key, and I was in the tailor shop. My wife never saw me. She yeah. used to come down and sit in the tailor shop with me just to see me. Mm. And I was making ghillie suits. I was making trousers to make myself more comfortable in the field, putting pads on everything. Really? Yeah. Um, making obs boards, making sticks, gillying everything up, you know. And um, yeah, I think 35 in my course and four passed. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How long was that course then? It's nine and a half weeks. Okay. Yeah. Of intense training. It's fucking full on. Is it? Yeah. Give me an example of intense training for a sniper course. So basically you put your kit on your back. You have to you have to carry your kit everywhere. So there's nothing left in your billet past your uniform but you have to carry everything with you in a backpack. So you've got your, everything, you know, you're carrying about 100 pounds on your back. Which is day. what, kg to 40, 50 kg? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just just tabbing around. Yeah. You know, and um, your fitness needs to be spot on. 
and you have to wear your ghillie suit everywhere you go. Give an example of what a ghillie suit is. So a ghillie suit is camouflage and concealment. So you've got this plant behind me. Yeah. You'd use the foliage to stick on. We call it a shroud. Yeah. And it's like a cape with a hood on. And it's got special loops in it where you stick your foliage. Oh, all okay. Yeah. So there's special ways of putting your foliage though because a plant's got different texture. Yeah. And people were sticking them upside down, so the roots were sticking up and stuff. Little things you yeah. need to remember, you know. And that's what a ghillie suit is. Okay. And then you get some hessian, like a sandbag. Yeah. We call it burlap. And you cut it and fray it up and stick it on. So you look like a wookie, you know. Yeah, but yeah. There, a, there was a saying that veg is the edge. So vegetation is better than synthetic yeah. material okay. because you can hide better, you know. And that's what a ghillie suits is. And what were you doing for nine and a half weeks on this course? So you, for the first four weeks, you do range package. Yeah. So you do um, near, mid, and far shooting. And then you have badge tests. You cannot progress on to do be a sniper unless you pass the shooting phase. Right. Once you pass the shooting phase, if you fail the sniper phase, you go back to the regiment as a sharpshooter. Okay. All right? So, but if you fail the shooting phase, you cannot progress on to do the sniper phase. Right. And then the sniper phase is sneaky beaky, being a sneaky bastard. Yeah. You know, but you have to pass the bars tests, and you have to you have to pass the near one, the mid one, and the far okay. one. And the far one's up to twelve hundred meters um, shooting, and you get undistant shooting where you don't know where the target's going to pop up, and you have to do the calculations and stuff. So like you're one thousand two hundred meters away. Yeah. With a sniper. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And what's popping up? Just little targets. Okay. Little, like a figure four target. I remember on my one, um, we we um, we went to um, Castle Martin in in Wales. Yeah. And um, it was a thirty six hour exercise, and in that thirty six hours, the target would have popped up. So it could have popped up in half an hour, or we could have waited twenty hours, or oh, we could wait thirty. And you have to be on the scope, ready and waiting. ready to go. And on your ear sets, it would go one, two, three, four, five, target down. And you're like, ah, what the fuck? <laughs> what, what? I didn't <laughs> see it. But luckily on mine, I saw it. Yeah. And I think it was like um, a fluorescent K on a white background. And then you, the walker will come up to you and he won't give you a position away. Just stand. And he will go, what was it? Don't even look at you, and you go flesh and kill on a white background, and then he report back to the OP and says, "Yeah, it's flesh and kill on a white background." He goes, "Yep," and then they would move away, and a target would pop up, like um, a figure yeah. twelve target would pop up, and you got hit that target. I missed on my first round, so I adjusted and hit it on my second. Yeah, and there was only four of us that managed to to hit it. Bloody hell! Yeah, it was quite a fucking yeah. rush as well. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, when we set off, everyone went right. I thought, fuck that, I'll go left. And I found a massive gorse bush. And where the sheep have gone underneath it, they've hollowed it out. It was like a little town under there. Yeah. I was like, oh, fucking brilliant. <laughs> I was walking to my FFP, FFP's final fire position. Yeah. I walked to it and I found a wall inside, everything. I thought, brilliant, I could stay here for ages. Yeah. The rain was coming down, but it wasn't because of thick gauze yeah. and everything. But everyone went right for some reason. And everyone got pinged. Going that way, quality. Yeah, and I was off the fuck. So only four passed. Yeah, after nine and a half weeks. Yeah, what was that feeling like, knowing that you're actually an official sniper? It's quite of a fucking good feeling because you got to think, right? I've come from a regiment with no. I didn't have any practice. Yeah. These powers, these guards, have had a four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks beat up course prior coming down, so they're all prepared, mm. you know. And then I've come down on my Jack Jones with my little kit bag, gone. <laughs> 
Hi. How's vocabulary? How are you doing? <laughs> you know, and they've was gone. there any was there anything before you got there that you knew that you were a good shot, or was it literally like I just want to be a sniper? I don't know if I'm a good shot or not. Um, I used to shoot when I was little, yeah. air guns and air rifles okay. and stuff like that. I used to do triathlons, so it was running, shooting, sh- uh, cross country horses, yeah. and then swimming. Yeah. And I used to do that when I was younger, so I was pretty fit as a kid, yeah. you know. And I used to enjoy the shooting, so my shooting was okay. You know, but never, never fired a sniper rifle before. Mm. Never looked for the scope of a sniper rifle. Didn't understand the clickage, the mill dots, the mill rads. You know, wind drift and stuff like that. Biometric pressure, and you know, uh, there's so much you got to take into consideration. So if you're if you're shooting one thousand two hundred meters away, how long is it for when you pull that trigger for six seconds? Top? Is it six seconds? Six okay. seconds flight. Yeah, my world record shot was six seconds. Yeah, and I was like counting and counting in my head. I saw it. Wow. Yeah. It took uh, nine shots. To, oh, we talk about it. In yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. But it took me nine shots to get there in the morning and then four shots to kill the two guys. Yeah. Wow. What was your movements? Once you become a sniper, what was the, what was the, your movements after that? Um, you ended up just going on tour. And and because you're a sniper, um, you, you get used and abused on the tour because you're an asset. I remember uh, they don't do it anymore. They've stopped doing it. We used to go on exercise in Canada, and we called it Med Hat um, on, on the plane. And um, it used to be like six million pound this exercise. Our planes involved, yeah. wagons, everything, soldiers, <clears throat> and everything like that. And two snipers held a whole battle group up, and that's over three thousand odd people and vehicles and everything. These two snipers, because it's called Tezex. Yeah. So he wears these vests, and when you shoot your rifle, a beam will come out, and you your vest would beep. And the only way you can stop the beeping is to lay down to simulate you're dead. Yeah. All right. And these two snipers just kept popping everyone off and they stopped the whole battle group because they couldn't move anywhere. They was in this valley and they couldn't move anywhere because the snipers, and eventually the, the, the instructors, the DS, went up to them with a gun, God gunned them, we called it God. Yeah, yeah. And they stood up and went, okay. That- yeah. Because that's how powerful a sniper wow. is. And you think of the Second World War and everything, you know, everyone wants to, everyone wants a sniper on hand yeah. because they're an asset. But when war's finished, they don't want to know you. Right, okay. Yeah, you know, that's what it's like. You what? get used and abused on top. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. What a cool name to have, though, is a sniper. Yeah, yeah. Um, eventually, with all my PTSD and stuff like that, it's a curse <clears throat> more than a, because it was a trade. Yeah. But it became more of a curse than anything, okay. you know, from the things that you see and do and some of the missions you have to do and some of the shots you have to do, you know. Um, yeah, you sort of, you don't enjoy Somebody said, you enjoy it? No, I don't enjoy it. Killing people, you know, you don't enjoy it. It's a job. And I didn't look at them as people. I looked at them as targets yeah. more than anything else, you know. Do you remember your first kill? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, it was in Iraq. And it was in a, a desert called the Maysan Desert. And we're in a MOG, a mobile operational group. And this MOG would move around the desert. And the Maysan Desert is massive. You know, it's vast. It's it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And we could be away from anybody. And a little kid would always tip up going, water, yeah. water. And you think, where the fuck's this kid come yeah. from? We're hundreds of miles from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd just walk off into the desert again. You know, the bizarre mm. uh, these kids do. But um, this this mobile group kept getting mortared. So every time we stopped, 
we got mortared all the time. And they were after uh, the fuel cans, they were after our water to blow them up to to make us um, inefficient as, yeah. a, as, a, as a mobile unit. Mm. So I eventually got the green light to take the guy out who was dicking us or scouting us. We used to call him dickers. But then from higher above, they said, you've got to call him scouts now because it's demoralizing to them. Fuck off. <laughs> I call him a fucking dicker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, mate. I can't call you a dicker. Yeah, yeah. I've got to call you a scout, you know. <laughs> but yeah, we had to call him um, scouts. But it was a bloke on a motorbike and he kept following us. And every time he followed us and stopped, we got mortared. So yeah. I got the green light to take him out. So the mog moved off. And as it moved off, he came into view. So I was laying and I had um, an Israeli camnet on me. And an Israeli camnet is reversible. So if you turn it one way, it keeps the heat in. Turn the other way, it keeps the heat out. Yeah, so I cut a square off this massive camnet and I just use it as a as a cover and all the sand on me. You couldn't see me at all. And he moved along and I fucking, yeah, I shot him. I shot him right here. Um, but you got to think, um, do you know when you see somebody in the desert on the film, they always look tall? Yeah. Yeah, it's the heat shimmer. Yeah. So it's it's an optical illusion. So I always shot lower than, than the main. And people said, why don't you do a headshot? Because always, I always entered for the centre of mass. Mm. You get more destruction there. Obviously, a headshot you're gonna you're gonna do the job, mm. but it's a smaller. Yeah, unless you've got a head like a fucking football, <laughs> like a know? watermelon. Yeah, <laughs> it's walking around. <laughs> and um, what yeah, was that fe- what was that feeling like when you shot him? I felt I was in trouble. You did, did you? Yeah, yeah, okay. massively. And I went up to him to confirm, and he was still alive, and he was gasping for air, and he had a radio next to him which was still talking. Um, and we call it ICOM, ICOM chatter, and um, he was still talking. And I checked his body. He had maps on him with every location that we stopped in the desert. Mm. Um, his motorbike was wedged into the um, uh, the sand. The throttle was stuck in, revving its tits off, and then an AK-47 strapped to the side of it, you know, and um, he eventually passed away. Mm. And um, could I have saved him? Probably not. Horrific. You know, little exit wound, exit wound was big. He just bled out, you know, and then I I, knelt, I remember kneeling against him, shutting his eyes. And then um, I've got the other lads to bring up a body bag. We we bagged him and tagged him and sent him back. And um, I remember sitting on my cot bed going, I'm in fucking the shit here. You know, I've just, I've just killed someone. I've just killed someone. Oh, fucking hell, I've just killed someone. That's all okay. And but I'd, I was waiting for a tap on the shoulder to go make you have a quick word of you. Yeah. Yeah, well, you just killed someone. You justified to do... And I was like, oh, fuck's sake. But nothing happened like no. that. It was like, well done, mate. Yeah. Good fucking, good uh-huh. mission. Yeah. You know, good call, good call, good shot. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. And then you become, in your own, you become that word sniper, you know, and the stuff that you do, pulling the trigger. As I said, I don't. I didn't look at them as people. Off that, I looked at them as targets. Because okay. if you constantly look at them as people, you'll never, you'll never get over yeah. what you've seen, what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You said you got given the green light. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So um, you have to ask permission from higher. Um, you just can't go around killing people. Yeah. You know, and because um, we were getting mortared all the time, it was a justified kill. 
So, you know, and from higher came down and it came down to my level. And they said, yeah, you've got the green light to fucking take him out. Yeah. So I said, oh, brilliant. If it was a red light, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, no, they said, no, you can't take him out. But what is the what is the rules? Like, if you were, like, by yourself and you didn't have the green light from anyone and you were like, hold on, there's a geezer, I know I've got to take him, I've got to take him out. What are the rules? So if he's, if he's carrying a weapon system yeah. or he seems to be a threat to you or shooting at you or anything, you've got the right to, to put him down. Mm. You know, um, because you've got an optical scope on your rifle, you can see, you can PID him, you can person identify him more than you would with the naked eye. Yeah. So um, if you put his rifle down and walked away, you can shoot him right. because you have to justify was that his gun. Right. It was like when we was in um, Iraq, we was in the port called um, uh, Unkazar Port in Iraq, and kids used to throw stones at us all the time. And then another kid threw a hand grenade and it hit one of the wagons and blew up. But could you shoot that kid? You have to prove that was he just throwing a stone or did he throw a hand grenade? Yeah. And that's your rules right, of okay. engagement. And you get a card, card one for alpha card, um, to um with your rules of engagement on there. And it changes all the time, mm. you know. But if if you've got a green gun, you know, you can say you're on a mission, you can take it out. Yeah. It's quite hard sometimes because sometimes I was on a mission. And I'll be still for four or five days, looking down into a village, looking down into a compound, looking at people's pattern of life. And then I'd see the target and he, I'd watch him for days. I know what he's like. And I used to make little stories that to keep my mind occupied. Yeah. Oh, there's Bob. Mm -hmm. There he goes. There's his missus. Yeah. You watch him. Yeah, he's going to kick her. Yeah, it does all the time. Yeah, I'll keep my mind occupied yeah. in that way. And then through the net, he goes, right, you, you got you know, you're clear to take him out. So, because you're, as a sniper, people think you just go around shooting people. Yeah. You don't. The first role of a sniper is to gather lifetime information of the battlefield. That is your first role as a sniper, being a sneaky bastard, getting in there and getting as much information as possible. Once you've got all that intel and then you pull back and they said, yeah, go and take him out. Right. Then you go forward again or you stay where you are and you take that target out. Right. So if you're watching, how give me an example of how long you'll be watching a compound or someone for longest I've done it is a week. Just yeah. watching one person. What, watching a compound. A compound, yeah. okay. Watching the pattern of life, vehicles going in and out, watching weapons exchange, opium, drugs, stuff like that. You know, and you're gathering as much information, you're relaying it all back to higher. Um, so HQ yeah. and they're they're reeling it back to higher, higher. And then they would say, okay, then have you got a clean, clean shot? Yeah, I have. Right, take him out. So, Wow. Yeah. My God. What was, it, what was that first toy? It was Iraq. Iraq. Iraq, yeah. yeah. In what, 2003, 2004? Yeah. How long were you on that tour for? Um, six and a half months. Was it? Yeah. Was that the most dangerous tour of all the tours you've done? My last tour in Afghan was. Was it? And what yeah. year was that, roughly? Um, 2009, 2009 2010. So that 2003 one gave you the sort of, I'm a sniper coming in there for six months. What was that like? How would you explain that tour for you? Um, you got a, you got a, what's it called? Deep compromise? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, put yeah, it, yeah. you put it in boxes. Yeah. That's what you need to do. Okay. Don't take your shit home with you. Did you find that easy or hard? Um, I had PTSD from Kosovo. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. From that first tour? For, from when we went to Kosovo. Oh, Kosovo, okay. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, What year was that? 
female heads and I remember clear as day, you know, and I picked them up and my sergeant major goes, is there anything up there? I thought, no, there's these two heads. And then the female interpreter fainted, <sighs> you know, and I didn't realise I was so, oh, fuck, yeah, I should have been more, a bit more. But you got immune to it, I take it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, just another dead body. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's what it was like, yeah. And I remember being in a minefield as well and we saw a couple of torsos and um, we were looking at the map going, we're in a minefield here. And we raided it back to height and they said, no, you're not in a minefield. There's nothing on our maps. Push forward. Keep going forward. Not fucking going forward. It's yeah. a fucking minefield. Yeah. You know, one of the lads went for a piss in a bush, just found another torso and he said, yeah, we're in a minefield here. You know, so we had to ignore them orders and just take the bollock in when you got back. Yeah. You know, so like sitting in the comfy office. Yeah, right. Back. Yeah, you can't keep going forward, lads. You can't kicking back exactly, at home. Yeah, you can't pick the undulating ground yeah. of. So how how much did that affect you personally coming back from that Kosovo tour, dealing with all these dead bodies? The smell, the smell. Um, I could spot roadkill and smell it. Yeah, and it would take me back. You know, but I was drinking. I wouldn't say drinking a lot, but I was going out on the piss fight. When you got drink, home, yeah, in yeah. Windsor, I was just and when oh, you got when you got back, did you know? Because PTSD wasn't probably spoken about back not then. At all. No one was talking about mind nope. health, nope. mental health, nope. all, all the things that we all know about today. What was your way of coping? Was it getting on the piss, coming back? Yeah, going on the piss, yep. fighting, For, yeah, uh, going in the gym, yeah. Uh, then I started running a lot and stuff like that, and then. Yeah, and I went down to do my um, I went down to do my commandos course uh, down in um, oh, where it is where they do their yeah. commando course, and then um, we got sent back because they were having dramas with their instructors and certain recruits. They couldn't do an all arms course, so it got cancelled. Mm. So me and my mate we came back, and that was my outlook because. I did P Company as well um, to become airborne, and I got my wings and all that. Did you? Yeah. The parachute regiment. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I was with the guards' powers. So, um, and I was, they put me on that to calm me down because I was just fucking frantic. I wouldn't say, yeah, I was just hyperactive. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to get Were on you loose? Bit. Yeah, a bit of a loose. Loose yeah, cannon. Yeah. Because you're a big man. Yeah. It must have been quite scary for people seeing you on the piss. Yeah. Being loose. And that's why people took me out on the piss, got me drunk, and thought yeah. it was funny to, to kick off. Yeah. You know, I knew no different. Mm. I'm a single, I was, I was a quiet lad in Cheltenham, yeah. isolated from anything, yeah. never been in a fight in my fucking life. Got to, like I said, got to London, <laughs> fucking different limelight, women, drinks, yeah, yeah. fucking everything. So <laughs> Unlicensed fighting. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Wow. So when you come back off that, what help is there from that first tour? Fuck all. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. There's no decompression going to Cyprus. There was nothing like no. that or no. it was straight back into civil life. Was it decompression Cyprus? I don't think that was around then. No, it wasn't. Wow. No, we didn't do that until we went to Iraq. Yeah. And then they bought this thing in called TRIM um, when the Iraq and Afghan kicked off. And it was trauma, recovery, something, something. Mm. And basically, so when you're in a tick, tick stands for troops in contact when you're in a tick and then you get pulled back you'd sit in a room with the padre and your sergeant major and you talk through it and basically it's meant to reduce ptsd mm. nah never got trimmed in my life no none of my blokes did but do you not think back in the day people have like sort yourself out mate get on with it that's what it's about right okay yeah yeah, 
that rugby mentality, well, sports yeah. mentality back and in the... That, the camaraderie, and the yeah. lads and the blokes, yeah. they got you through it. Yeah. They're a good bunch of blokes. Yeah. I remember we took over, in Kosovo again, we took over this village and we took over the school and we're going to use the school for our main headquarters. We had to clear it first. So I remember, I've got loads of stories about Kosovo. And we, I remember going down into the boiler room and I was walking down, there was a big long corridor with doors on the side. And each door had a post in the middle with a mattress covered in blood going down. There's five doors altogether and each one had the same one. And at the end of the corridor was one door. And it was my friend Ronnie with me and um, I said, cover me, I'll kick the door. So I checked it, back of my hand, checked it, kicked it. And there were, um, I think about six women in there, all naked, alive, in a dark room, um, just covered in blood. And the Serbians oh, them and um, using the, the, the things as rooms yeah. and stuff like that. So I took my helmet off. I took my body armor off. I gave my rifle to my mate. And I sat there and went, because the last thing they want to see is a, a bloke, bloke yeah. and in uniform yeah. with a gun. And I told Ronnie to go and get a female RMP to come down to see to, you know, to de-stress yeah. them and you know we got space blankets and blankets to cover them yeah. up to cover their modesty up and all that so yeah it was a fucking horrendous tour that sounds horrendous it was a horrendous that was your first tour, tour. That was my first, yeah my first tour was Bosnia yeah yeah that was out it. of all the tours you've done do you look back at Kosovo and go that was the worst one for nightmares for me yeah. for nightmares yeah don't get me wrong I have nightmares of snipering you know I get flash images and stuff like that, but um, Kosovo was bad. Yeah, you don't. It doesn't get really talked about, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it's always a wreck in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's interesting you brought Kosovo up because mm. that must have been horrendous. Yeah, it was. What you're telling me here, yeah. and I'm sure there's many other stories there. Mm -hmm. How long? So you were roughly the six months. May have been a bit longer. Yeah, I think it was a bit longer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How would you explain your Kosovo tour in a few words? There's not enough few words to explain it, to be honest with you. It made me feel, how can human beings do this to human beings? Yeah. You know? And I don't think, like, you know, I really can't answer that one because yeah. there's not enough words to go, yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah. There's no words to describe what we have to deal with out there. No, no words, you know? I remember, um, this is a funny one, all right? We had a body in the back of the Land Rover me and Ronnie again will go into the morgue in Pristina and the Land Rover broke down. So we got in the net and said, yeah, we're going to get you in a few hours uh, for the Remy to come out and drag us back. So we went, okay. And we heard, Ugh. we like, ah, the fuck's that noise? They ignored it, sat in, sat in the driver's seat and they said, look, we can't get you to a bit later on tonight. You know, just get your heads down and we'll, we'll get to you. And we thought, okay, then. So we took the body out and just rested it in the... And then, it's, then it lent up. No. And then it went down again. And I looked at Ronnie and I thought, is it dead? Is, that, is the body dead? And he goes, yeah, it's fucking dead, Craig. I thought, no, it just, just sat up. Because it's all the gases oh, right. leaving the body yeah. and stuff like that. But it was the most. So we locked ourselves in the Land Rover, and we didn't open the doors at all, just in case. Just in case, just in case something is fucking happened, you know. And the Remy tipped up, and we were like asleep in this Land Rover. Um, Roddy was awake. I was dossing on, 
tapped on the window. That fucking shook me up. Well, that fucking hell. <laughs> and he goes, what's wrong? And I said, we told him, yeah, it was gases leaving the body. So, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are we getting zombified here? You know what I mean? After Kosovo, straight into Iraq. Yeah. Bit of downtime in England, yeah, partying on the piss. Yeah, yeah. And then straight back into Iraq. Yeah. How long were you in Iraq for then? Uh, six months. Six we're, months. We were the evasion force, first Iraq tour. We had over an evasion force. Yeah. And um, it was funny, I was blase about bodies out there, you know, because um, the vehicles had ran over loads of dead bodies and um, we were made to stop and put them in body bags to be humane to the, to the dead out there. Mm. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I was just yeah, blase about it because I dealt with it so much in Kosovo. You know, and um, you really just know it's affecting you until later on in life. Yeah. So everything slows down. Yeah. And you've got time to think yeah, and reflect. In the army, you're a thousand yeah. miles an hour. As a sniper, you're a thousand miles an hour. Until you slow down or get out, mm. you start reflecting on things. That's when stuff starts settling mm. in and you're thinking, fucking hell. Where were you when you had the longest kill? I was in um, North um, Helmand province. Um, it's probably south of this place called Musukala. And um, I was down south from there in a place called Talajan. And um, it was a little village overrun by Taliban. And it was our job to flush the Taliban out, um, to um, give overwatch. Because we had, um, we call them the omelette. They were a mixture of ANA, Afghan army, and a mixture of British troops. And they mixed together, that's what we call it, an omelette. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then they, they would go in. And I remember... We would get, the Afghan army felt comfortable with have guns on the high ground. They felt confident enough to go in, you know, and that's when my, that's when my shot happened. What year was that? Um, two thousand nine. Yeah. So talk me through that moment when you made that longest kill. So basically, um, there was a dicker or a scout, whatever yeah. you want to call him, and um, he was in the far distance. And I could see all the Taliban in the village queuing up to attack the patrol going in. And mm -hmm. I said to the patrol leader, and I said, look, they're queuing up here. I got perfect eyes on. Um, he goes, okay, then just keep an eye, keep an eye. Because we had to go in, no matter what. And there was a kill box. And now what a kill box is, is an area of land with no cover and which you can cause max devastation. And... Um, I thought they're going to go in the kill box and they're going to be opened up here. And I spotted the kill box straight away. That's a perfect area for me. Yeah. And no doubt they're probably thinking the same thing, mm. you know. And um, I see a glint in the distance. Now I've got an interpreter with me and he's got a radio which is tuned into the Taliban, ICOM chatter. And um, they're getting orchestrated by this guy up here. I didn't know at the time. I saw the glint. So I got my scope, looked through the glass, and I could see. Uh, a guy there with a radio with an antenna and the glint was glinting off the sun so I, I, I shot because my rifle only goes 1500 meters mm. that's it so I've got the crosshairs but I'm off the crosshairs massively mm. and I have to put the magnification down because if you have it on full mag your grapple wobbles because it, it fills your heartbeat yeah. so you turn the magnification down to get a clear, clear view and um, it took me nine shots to get there in the morning and I bracketing, so I one dropped, aim higher, drop, drop, mm. drop, drop, drop. Finally got the compound wall, and I see the splash on the compound wall. And um, he got his head down, and then the ICOM chatter went quiet. And then I heard a voice on the ICOM chat, and I said to the interpreter, what's he saying? He said, he's saying he can't direct you anymore. He's getting shot up from somewhere. 
and that was from fucking me. And that was two. That was a mile and a half away. All right. And um, so the patrol went in, and they went into the kill box. They got opened up on by the Taliban, yeah. and they were getting casualties. Um, fucking firefight. Now a firefight usually lasts a couple of minutes, five minutes, or something like that. Mm. Nothing longer than that. You know, it's all shoot and scoop tactics, and you just spray the area where you think it. This went on for fucking ages. I think about half eleven it kicked off, and it finished about two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, it was full on fighting. Oh, okay. You know, lads were pinned down. Um, so I had four vehicles behind me. So I thought to myself, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll I think on the ground, and I thought, right, I'm going to send the vehicles down because we had fifty cows and forty mil cannons on the on the on and jimpies on these wagons yeah. on these jackals. So I sent them down to act as a buffer between the kill box, between the patrol and the Taliban, and lads were just opening yeah. up on them. And I was taking shots as well. I was, um, it was like a turkey shoot, really, because they were just clearing the open yeah. like that. And then I could see a guy here, and I thought, and um, my spotter I was with, my spotter was my driver. Yeah. And um, I had to talk him through the spotting scope. He's got the same grackle as me. And he said, Craig, somebody's over there. And I looked and I thought, fuck. And when you're training for Iraq in England, you always get taught, think 20 minutes ahead so they don't flank you, you know. And as a sniper, you're only meant to take um, maximum of three shots, minimum of one shot. Yeah. And then get the fuck out. Right. Because you're not meant to be there. Yeah. You know, I was there all day on the hill. So I'm getting off the walls and stuff like that. I'm ducking down, I'm stood. But people think I was laying down when I did my shot. I wasn't, I was stood up. Stood up, yeah. yeah I was stood up. I was letting to get a compound wall. And um, so I looked over, looked for my binoculars. I could see this guy and I thought, is he a marker? So I turned around, you know, shot him. And uh, he fell down. And what he had done, he wasn't a marker. He had knocked the water pump off and he flooded the whole irrigation field yeah. in front where my lads were on the vehicles. So now the vehicles are wheel spinning. They're stuck in this field. And then I could hear tuk, 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 from somewhere. I thought, where the fuck's that coming from? So everywhere I engage targets, I'm checking from my scope, checking, 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 checking. Can't see anything. And I could be sprays in the water. All my lads were on the ground. And I thought, fuck, I need to find the shooter somewhere. And I looked up, just happened to look up where I shot the dicker yeah. to get his head down. And there was two guys lying down with a PK machine gun. It's a Russian belt-fed machine gun. And they were shooting down onto my lads. I thought, fuck this. So I knew where I was shooting because I shot there in the morning. Yeah. So I fired my first shot, missed, hit the compound wall. And as it hit the compound wall, one of the guys stood up and shot again. As I shot again, I hit him here. And the only reason why I knew why I hit him because we went up to PID the bodies and to get the weapon off of PID? Yeah, person identified the, okay. we uh, the, the victim yeah. to make sure, you know. And the idea is to get the weapon off him to stop it circulating back and turning your hands. Mm -hmm. And then um, I fired my third shot and I counted in my head, one, two, three, and I moved my rifle across, fired again. So now I've got two bullets <laughs> in the air at the same time, three seconds apart. Third one missed, fourth one hit him. Wow. And he fell back. And then um, an Apache helicopter, because if you're in a, a tick for a long time, um, they call air on or air on. And two Apache helicopters tipped up. And about fucking time they tipped up because they were well late for, for the party anyway. 
and the pilot came down and he GPSed it and he went and he fucking said how for 2,475 meters and went like that. Didn't sink in. Yeah. I just thought, brilliant, done my job. Lads came up, you know, checking them all. We're doing battle damage and stuff like that, replaying ourselves. And um, I said, well, I need to check these bodies. So we went back up and we checked these two bodies. The gun had gone. Yeah. You can see why we hit the compound wall as well. Yeah, and I hit one, one here and one here. And um, they turned out to be um, Taliban leaders. Brilliant. Quite high up. And they were orchestrating the attack through the guard of the radio. And um, the patrol went past everything then, everything, you know, they got there injured and wounded out and stuff like that. And then we went back to a, an old abandoned um, compound just outside Musakala. We had beards, everything. Mm. We were like living off the land. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, you yeah. Know? And um, wait for the next mission, basically. And that was the job. And that was my world record shot. But, Amazing. you know, and it was a... F I always say it's a fluke. Always say it's a fluke. That's very know? humble. But people say you've done it twice. And yeah. I say it's two flukes. Yeah. You know, it's a fucking long way away. It's a long way, isn't it? And the it? target is minute because I'm not shooting on four mag. Yeah. So the target is very, very small, you know, and yeah. So, but it was a perfect day. Mm. Perfect fucking day, you know. Um, it was like those crisp winter mornings, mm. you know, with a bit of heat from the sun. Perfect day. You know, can ask for anything better to be. Give me an example of what your gun would look like and how much ammunition will you have on you? So, you, me as a sniper, um, you got issued four magazines. I had six because I managed to scrounge some more, um, all full up. And then you have a sidearm. How many in each magazine? I had 10, okay. 10 rounds in each. <clears throat> um, was it 10 or five? It's five. Okay. It's five. The top of my head, I can't remember. Yeah. Fucking long time. You didn't need them. Yeah, I didn't need them. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah. So you have your sniper rifle, then you have your sidearm, you have your Glock. Um, you have two. I had three magazines on my Glock. What's a Glock? Um, hand pistol. Yeah, okay. And, and then you have your um, SA80, and you. I had um, twelve magazines of uh, five point five six rounds in there, and th obviously. Six rounds, six magazines with three through eight rounds in. So, yeah. So I was heavily loaded. Yeah. 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 But people people forget, you know, I didn't have a body armor. I have a body armor. I was in a t shirt and I was doing my shot. And my headset was off. My my spotter was relaying to my gunner who was relaying on the net, you know, and um, yeah, I stood up. But we were getting shot at as well. It was hitting the wall, everything. But you just got to take your composure. You know, are you cold and calm and calculated with the whole thing? You have to be. Yeah, you have to be. It's adrenaline rush. Yeah, you're in charge. Yeah, you know, you're giving orders as well. You got to keep an eye on what's going on in the battlefield as well as doing your job as a sniper. You know, and then three weeks after the thing, three weeks after that, I got shot in the helmet and knocked me out. And then three days after that, I got blown up. Hold on, mate. You got blown up. Yeah. Where? Um, a place called Minden, it's north of Musakala. Um, I was um, doing a, a mission up there, and because um, there's no electric light there, um, when it's dark, there's no ambient light. So when it's dark, it's fucking pitch black. Yeah. We finished the mission at half four, and it was December the 14th at half past four. Remember, it clear as day. Mm. 
and yeah. then and then um, December um, two thousand nine. Nine, okay, yeah. yeah. And then I um, I was in a convoy, and as a sergeant, you lead from the rear, and because it's better to organise because you're the control. Yeah. So you put your junior call sign forward to lead, and the junior call sign stopped. It's been a long fucking day, you know, and. Um, so I got off and I ran down. I said, come on, mate, we need to shift. What's the problem? And they always called me first name terms. It was always Craig, mm. you know, because I preferred that than Sergeant Harrison or Sergeant because then my lads had respect for me. And if they fucked up, they knew they fucked up. Yeah. And then it's Sergeant, you know, but my lads were all good lads, all fucking, all their first tours, majority of them, you know, and they're really good blo- good bunch. And uh, the... The lad said, I don't want to say his name, but the lad said, um, I've got I've got kids at home, Craig. I've got kids and I'm married. I've got a gut feeling something's going to go wrong. And I went, okay, all right, think, think, think. I'll lead. So I passed everyone, led. Instead of going through the village, where there's loads of vulnerable points, VPs we call them, um, I said, oh, I'm going to scoot around the village. Because so past five o'clock, it gets pitch black. Mm. And we're going to have a nightmare otherwise. And then I hit a 30 kilo anti-tank mine on my driver's side. Um, my my driver's um, legs were fucked. And my gunner went deaf. Um, my vehicle was totally destroyed. I blew, I got blown out, landed to the side, uh, scars, everything. So what is that? How you lost your finger there as well? Yeah, that was through surgery, through previous. Was they it? tried to get it better and better but it didn't work so he just finally cut it off you know and then um, I broke my radius scaphoid wrists in both arms um, had a brain injury my brain swelled up they were going to do stuff to my skull and all that but my head went down luckily enough and um, don't forget I've been shot in a helmet as well Yeah. so I got a concussion from that and now I've been blown up three days later. So it's all on my right side. So I've got a TBI. I've got a brain injury. I suffer from migraines. Yeah. I forget things, you know. And um, they, uh, Kazi, lads did a fantastic job. Kazi vacked me out. And uh, do you know the worst pain is they drilled into my shin with a screwdriver to put ketamine into my bone marrow. And that's how they reduced the pain. Mm. The pain of that, it's the worst pain anyone can go through. I think it is fucking horrendous. You can feel it go through your body. Yes. And I remember waking up in um, Bastion in the hospital and I remember turning over, looking at Cliff's bed and it was just covered in blood. I thought, fuck, he's died. You know what I mean? He's fucking died. And then uh, I try to stand up to get out of bed to turn all his things out. I'm delirious. I'm not a religious person, mm. all right? I believe in fate. But I remember when they took me off the Chinook, I can't remember none of that. Apparently I was bollock naked going through the runway, everything, you know, because I was just in so much trauma. And then they x-ray your body on this big tube. And because I was high as a kite, I was coming around. And all I could do was celadelic images, like really weird sort of psychedelic sort of feeling and everything I could see was all blurred all I could see is white coats I thought they were angels to this day now yeah. I always say I thought they were angels and I remember grabbing my arm 
and grabbing one, pulling him over to me. And I, I said to him, I said, can you tell my wife that I'm sorry? Just tell her that I'm sorry. And I let go. And then he injected me to counter out the ketamine. And he said, oh, mate, you can tell her yourself. You're okay. And everything came into view. They're all doctors. Well, yeah. But I thought they were angels. They, they are angels as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, massively. Yeah. And I, then, I, then I went off again and I put me in bed. And then I flew to Kandahar. And then I flew back to Birmingham, stayed in Birmingham for two weeks. And then had my casts on for six weeks. They took the casts off, made me do 10 press-ups, set me back out. Straight away sent you back out? Yeah. Yeah, to a place called Pandas Ridge. Uh, we at that point when they took the cast off, were you itching to get back out? Did you have an addiction no. to get back out? I was just, fucked. Or I was were you fucked. like, I don't want to go when back When I got out. blown up, it was like an ice, <clears throat> ice wall got shattered in me, you know? And this ice wall just fucking, I couldn't hold my feelings back from Kosovo, through Bosnia, yeah. through anything. I couldn't hold these feelings back and they were just getting fucking out of control. And I was addicted to painkillers. I was taking raw painkillers, yeah. you know? And like, I was uh, dissolvable once. Mm. I was eating them raw. Uh, just to release the pain in my brain because my head was hurting all the time. But like I said, I don't like that word man up, but that's what I was doing because that's all I fucking knew no. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I knew. Yeah. I'm a bloke's bloke. Yeah. So I fucking hid it, you know, and I, they shipped me back out. And I went to a place called Pandas Ridge looking over a village. I was there for uh, four weeks. Yeah, just fucking snipering. And they were hunting me. So it was what I'd done in the first bit of the tour before I got blown up, I caused so much fucking upset. Mm. They brought an out-of-season fire to stalk me. And to, to I had a bounty on my head. I don't know how much it was, but through um, int and int intelligence, they said, yeah, there's a bloke out there trying to find a way you are. I was like, okay, bring it on. Sniper on sniper. Yeah. Seems the best. Yeah. So... Did you ever, did your name ever come out in the press or anything like that? Yeah, anything happened there? Yeah. It did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why we got death threats. Yeah, we went into hiding for three years. You went into hiding for yeah. three years? What, back here? Yeah. In England? Yeah. Yeah. So we came off tour. What uh, tour did you come off? The, my last uh, the Afghan tour. Okay, which uh, was so what? So 2010 came yeah. back. Yeah, And then you have a medals parade. Um, so you... You, you're not confined to camp, but you have to work for a week or something, and they monitor you to make sure you're all right. And um, my lad saw the most um, sort of um, action. We had The lads had the best stories, as they say. It's not nice to say, but the best stories. So they brought a press guy in from the local paper. Well, from he was a freelance journalist, so yeah. I'd say. And um, he's meant to get escorted around by our adjutant, our captain at the time. And um, he came up to me, he goes, couple of horse. He goes, come here. And I went, yes, sir. And he goes, um, tell this guy some stories. He's going to print them up in the paper. And I said, well, everything gets censored. And he goes, yeah, everything gets censored. And he goes, okay. So I got all my lads together, the lads I had left. And I said, um, uh, this guy's a freelance journalist. He wants to learn some stories. And so my lads were talking. And he came up to me and um, I didn't want to go into too much depth in my stories. So I told him about the longest kill, mm. the shot. <clears throat> and I said, yeah, it was 2,475 metres. 
And he said, do you realise you broke Rob Furlong's record, the Canadian who held it with the bow at 50 cal? And I said, not really. Mm. And I said, mate, I don't really care. And I said, at the end of the day, I saved 12 people and the patrol going in. And I said, that's all that mattered to me is that. And he goes, okay, no worries. Kevin will tell him stories. Well, anyway, we went home on the Friday. Sunday came. Phone was going off the fucking chart, answering it. You need to look at the papers. You need to look at the papers. So we looked at the papers. My face, my name, my wife's name, my daughter's name, my dog's name, where I was born, where I'd lived, um, everything, um, regiment, everything was in the papers. You're joking, So mate. basically, the story is meant to go to London District Media Office yeah. to get censored, so you get redacted, yeah. and then it goes to print. Uh, it never did. So some fact ex-colonel or something, it's gone, yeah, that would go, absolutely right. It just went straight to print. And um, and then it happened um, just before that Lee Rigby incident. Yeah, here. yeah. And, um, South East London. Yeah, yeah. bless him. And then, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then um, we started getting death threats through the media saying they wanted to kidnap a Muslim soldier and also to cut my head off for the stuff I'd done in Africa. Oh, mate. And then, then through intelligence, we found out uh, there was a car in Birmingham. The police raided it and had my photo in the car. They were going to come and kidnap me. And the car was all lined out with plastic and everything. Yeah. So they wanted to really cut my head off. Jeez. Yeah. So we had to go and hide him for three years. So your daughter? She she was going for a wife? G- yeah. She was going for a GCSEs at the time. She had to have an armed escort into school and sit in a big hall room with one chair, one table on her own, with armed people at the door, Mate. taking her, taking her fucking. I get upset. I've um, don't really didn't want to bring it home, you know. Didn't want to bring it home at all, especially to my daughter. Yeah, fucking unfair. Yeah, you know. But it was what it was. How did she deal with it? Your daughter doesn't really talk about it. To be honest with no. you, I haven't really spoke to her about it. Yeah, sort of like. Just give her a cuddle. I think it'd be all right, you know. Would you ever speak to her about it? No, I think it's dead and buried. Yeah. No point opening them wounds. They're scarred now, do you know yeah. what I mean? So I don't want to start thinking. She, I probably, she is a bit, she always looks for exit signs. She always doesn't like crowded places and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, she's um, aware of her surroundings more now than she was due to the incident. Mm. Yeah. How angry were you? Fucking angry. Yeah. And do you know what? The MOD came in, um, armed escort, mm-hmm. came into my house at the time before we got shipped off to, um, we lived in camp for four months in the wire. And then we got shipped out to a secure house um, with armed response, um, panic alarms on the house and everything. And then they had the film on the windows, you know, there's a, a bomb went in, it would just suffocate it and stuff like that. We had a panic room, um, everything in this house. And we were there, th- um, well, we were there for three years, yeah, three years. And then... Um, where was that in the country? Where the we panic, were? Yeah, the panic house. Uh, or do they... It's in Surrey. It's in Surrey, okay. Yeah, I've got a mistake. Yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. else is there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's on that road. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, when you... I can't even get my head around this bit. But you're in a you're in a in hiding. Your daughter's been affected. Your wife's been affected. You're been affected. 
and that the army seemed to have got away with it and the press have seemed to have got away with it. Mm -hmm. There's no no sort of action taken against that. No, we sued the MOD. You did, did you? Yeah, we sued the MOD. Okay. And um, soon find out that my solicitor that I hired was in cahoots with the MOD. Mm. He got a better payout than I did. Mm. Right. But it wasn't about the money, was it? It was about principle. Principle, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Were you carrying at that time? You're thinking, I, you know, if something's off the me, I've, I'm carrying, I've got, I'm, I'm loaded with weapons here just in case. I was carrying a knife with me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't care about the knife laws. Yeah. It's my life at the end of the day. And if a fucking van pulled up, blokes jumped out, fucking, I'm, I'm biting noses. You know, I'm 19 stone, six foot four. Yeah. And I always say, they've got to get me the fucking van first and I will fight fucking dirty. I will bite your knob off if I had the chance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. You know, but all, I always said to Tanya, I always said to her, I said, look, I've left the army now. I want to give everything back to you. And I'll spoil her as much as I can, you know. So she doesn't have to go through like that any any of again. I don't think even her family knew what she went through. Not at all. No one understands what that woman's gone through. You know, and she's still here now. Amazing. How long have you been with her? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Massive respect to her sticking by you. Massively. Yeah. Through my tours. Through um, your lows. Massive through my lows. I'm a changed man. You know, I used to be like um, life of the party sort of thing. Mm. Social hand grenade. (laughs) Just pull the pin. I'm off. Not anymore. Don't go out more. Don't go out. I go to the gym at half three in the morning so it's empty. You know, Um, don't go to crowds. Don't. I try and I sleep, but it's all drug related. If I don't have the drugs, I don't sleep. You know, she yeah, she stuck by me for all that. Wow. Yeah. Knowing my when she met me, I was life of the party mm. to see my digress mm. of my character. When were you at your lowest point? We went to America to live. Um, we lived there for three years. And um, I try to shoot myself. Yeah, I put a gun in my mouth and I try to, and I was screaming. Well, Tanya was in England at the time, and I was practicing with this gun. Where do I do it? And I had a dog, little Yorkie terrier, Betsy, her name was. She was my best mate. We done fucking everything together. She passed away last year. Yeah, last um, last June. And. Um, how was that for you? My best mate, you know. And um, my birthday in November, just gone. Tanya got me another dog, little Westy, mm. called Steve. And he, he's filled a big hole in my heart that Betsy left, you know. What did Betsy mean to you? Fucking, she saved my life. I remember sitting in the kitchen table, the back of the sofa, and she was on the back of the sofa. I put the round in. It was a Heckling Cop 45 handgun. And I put it in my mouth. And I just squeezed the trigger like that, squeezing it back. And Betsy looked me straight in the eye. And she went out of her head. And she went like that with the other side. I took it out, unloaded it, put it to one side. I cried and I cried and I cried. 
Yeah. She saved my life. Yeah. I suffer from it now. Like it's called suicide isolation. I think about it all the time. I think about it all the time. You're thinking about taking your life all the time. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Stuff that I've done, stuff that I've seen, you know. Pills don't pills aren't the answer. Talking, yeah, talk, 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 let it all out. But you can't help the way you feel. You can't help your pain. You can't help what I've seen and what I've done. And my pain's real, you know. It's horrible. And some days, yeah, I, I struggle. I struggle. I struggle all the time. My wife knows it as well. She's she's sort of became my carer in a way, you know, sort of caring for me. But yeah, I'm still here though. You're still here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always said that I couldn't see myself beyond forty six. Couldn't see myself beyond forty six. I'm forty nine now, so. You've got your beautiful wife and your daughter mm. and your lovely dog. Yep. Yeah. But trouble is, you don't think of them when you're in that frame of mind. You become, you become sort of selfish in a way. Mm. You just want to fucking end it. Yeah. Stop the pain. You know? i got a voice in my head. I take meds for it. And it just says I'm vile. That's all it says. I'm vile. It repeats itself constantly in my fucking head. You're vile. Why? Why? I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Do you know what? It's a, it's a male voice, right-hand side, in this side, and it says I'm vile all the time. I take meds for it, and the meds calm it down. But when I laugh, it gets louder. And when I laugh, the big gut laugh, it gets so fucking loud, it's like in my face. I just shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up, Craig. What's the point? What is the fucking point? Are you aware every time that little man's speaking to you? All the time, yes, yes. Mm. Like going with these on, I can hear it. Yeah. It's constant. It's like a rhythm, you know. Is there any help out there that can help that? I, I pay for my own therapy. I see a guy, a Ross, Ross his name is. He's like five minutes from my house. I see him every Thursday. To be honest with you, I haven't seen him for a couple of Thursdays because I'm just sad. And that's how I feel, sad. And Tanya says... Why are you sad? And I said, I don't know. I'm just sad. I feel sad. And I think that's another word for depression. Yeah. But I don't want to admit it. Yeah. But you don't want to admit the word depression. No, not at okay. all. I feel sad. And that's how I feel. Yeah. How do you feel happy? I haven't been happy for fucking ages. And that's, my wife makes me happy. Being with her. But I haven't been happy for ages. How long have you not been happy for? Since I left the forces. Which was what, 2010? Yeah, 2013. 2013. Yeah. So 10 years. Yeah. I miss it every day. If they came for that door now, I'd go with them. I wouldn't think of my family. It was always the army first, family second. It was always like that. Is that the same now? No, it's always family first. Family first, yeah. Always think of Tanya. Yeah. If I had a thousand pound in my pocket, I'd spend it on her rather than me. And I've always told her that. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I'm just, like I said, I'm just depression's a horrible thing mm. when it gets older, you, you know. And is that sadness come from everything that you've seen yeah. in Kosovo? Massively, massively. The kills, yep. the, everything that's gone on. Yeah. And there's been no support or help from the army nope. at all? Not at all. You're gone, you're gone. 
in my eyes. Do you feel used by the army? Yeah, massively. Yeah. Yeah, when you go on tour, I was fucking going everywhere. But we need a sniper with St. Craig because I could shoot. Yeah. And I didn't complain. It was my job and I did it. You know, we need to do this, we need to do that. Think, oh, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go. Never ring Tanya up quickly. Hey, babe, I'm off out now. Come off a nine day op. Babe, I, yeah. I'll just have a quick shower and something to eat and I'm off out again. Love you. Right, everything's fine. Everything's good. You know? I phoned her up once in, in Iraq. We need, we need to get overrun in this building. And we had a, a sat phone. It was red. And I phoned her up. And I said to her, I said, I love you, you know. And she goes, yeah, I love you too. What's that noise? And I said, don't worry about that. And I said, I promise you, I promise you, I'll phone you in the morning. I'll phone you in the morning. And I kept thinking, I did. I did, I phoned you in the morning. Yeah, and only got overrun. A place called the P-Jock, you know, like, mm. only got like 18 people there. And it was next to a prison. And they tried to overrun the prison to release all the... You know, head heads of uh, mm. the uh, terrorist cells, and um, yeah, it just when you got overrun, they were coming from everywhere. Yeah, what made you phone your wife then? Because I wanted to hear her voice, and the last thing I fucking heard was her voice. Yeah. Did you think you were going to die? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were firing RPGs at us, fucking machine guns. It was just fucking let rip. Yeah. How did you get away with that one? Kept on fighting. British British <clears throat> forces mentality. You know? Just fucking fight. And that's what makes us unique. We got shit kit. We make it fucking work. Mm. And that's what's makes us that's what makes us the best in the world. And what we do. You know? We got the fangle dangle stuff. Mm. Well nowadays we have, we've got drones mm. and everything now, but you know, but you just with the kit you got you make it work. Mm. Yeah. Do you know how many confirmed kills you've had? I don't want to say really. Yeah. You know, or the curse or anything. Yeah. It's not about the killing. It's, it's about how many saves, saved. people you saved. Yeah. Yeah. With Tanya, what do you think Tanya's gone through over the last 20 years? Hell. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, No one understands. That's what upsets me. No one understands what the partner goes through. No one understands what they have to live with, with somebody with PTSD. Civilian or military, doesn't matter. And it's hard. And they should get a lot of credit for it. She should get a lot of credit for it. My mate I did four tours with, um, my number two. He's... Um, his missus left him. He's been sectioned. He's trying to top himself. He's in a shit state way. He said it had never happened to him. And I got discharged first. And I said, he saw some stuff with me. And he, he, he fucking disrupted him. He just couldn't control it. Lives in. It's funny. Um, I was phoning him all the time. Text him all the time. Just to make sure he's still here. You know, and if he needs me, I'll be there. He lives in Yorkshire now. And uh, me and Tanya will go to London to do another podcast. Mm. 
and she goes, um, I need to go for a wee. I said, oh, Polish services. Back to Polish, because can we go to that one up there? It's got a Costco's coffee in it. So yeah, no worries. <laughs> Pulled in there. She went for a was. I stood by W.H. Smith's, and I heard Greg Harrison. I looked. There he was. Fucking 20 stone, massive beard, long hair. I would have walked past him. He was fit when I when last time I saw him, everything, and I put my boat down and cried. And he started crying, and we just cuddled each other for ages in the middle of a fucking service station. Two blokes, yeah. and everyone's going like that. And Tanya came out, and she gave him a big cuddle. And then he goes, come and look at my service dog. Your service dog? He goes, yeah, come and look at it. And he had um, a Volkswagen camper, lowered suspension mm. I thought nice wasn't lowered the size of his fucking dog was it? it was a Newfoundland oh, was it? <laughs> he called it Hagrid yeah. he was massive he got out of there it was like Digby <laughs> you know what I mean massive fucking yeah. dog I went fucking hell uh-huh. yeah yeah but um, his squadron helped him not the regiment or anything his mm. squadron the lads did it off their own back they did a hundred mile uh, Bergen march raise enough money to get him a service dog which is just fucking outstanding, yeah. you know. And now he's just can't work. He can't go out. Doesn't do much. I feel for him. It's a, sniping's a curse. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How old is he? I don't know how old is he. He's got to be in his late thirties now. Easy. Yeah, late thirties. Only late thirties. Yeah. He's fucked, mate. Yeah. Love him to bits. Yeah. You got to when he's wiping your ass in a hole somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned PTSD. Mm. How difficult has that been for you? Very difficult. It's crippling. Absolutely crippling. Stops you going out, stops you socialising. If you don't understand somebody with PTSD, you'll never understand it. A person with PTSD would always understand somebody with PTSD. Yeah somebody hasn't got it and you become a changed man they sort of back off and you sort of lose contact with them people because they don't want anything to do with you because you are changed they don't support you they they just want anything to do with you because Mm. you are depressed you're not having a laugh you're drinking lots or you're taking drugs Mm. or whatever to suppress the feelings yeah exactly yeah Yeah. you know your family ethos breaks down unless you've got a strong woman behind you who understands you know, that's PTSD's whole. It's a fucking dark place, a dark place. And like I said, no one understands it unless you go through it. You know, and I always say civilian PTSD is different than military PTSD, yeah. which yeah. it is. Yeah. But it's PTSD's PTSD. It's post-traumatic stress. Mm. You know, and it goes like a train track. It will never cross over because it's. You never combine it, but it will just go level with it, mm. and that's why you know people need to understand that even civilian PTSD is bad as well. You know, I've got CPTSD because mine's multiple incidents apparently. Yeah, same with my number two, multiple incidents. But or you get PTSD, or you get PTS, which is you know always goes down in categories. What yeah. it is, yeah. But there's nothing out there. These charities are shit as well. Yeah. Massively shit. 
they're just more more interested in getting money for stuff. Yeah, don't get me wrong, they've helped some people, but I've reached out to them and no one's helped me. What's the solution? I think... Did I, did I say it? Did I, um, I think uh, when you leave the armed forces, you should get monitored for two years after the army should monitor you for two years and track you down and keep an eye on you. And hopefully doing that, the army can then pay. Instead of, this goes back to something. I remember being in the papers, not myself, but the MOD was in the papers because they get a budget each year of the government and then that budget gets spread spread around the different regiments. And he said, there's your budget for the year. It could be a million or something. Mm. And they have to spend that budget. So if they don't spend it, they won't get the next yeah. amount because they think, oh, you had a million left yeah. over. So we're going to give you two million this year yeah. instead of three. They're, they're spending it on light bulbs mm. and they're charging seven quid for a light bulb or 20 quid for a light bulb. I remember being in the papers mm. or what they were paying these workmen to come in to do work because they had to get rid of this money. Instead of wasting your money doing that, they should monitor soldiers yeah. two years after they leave the armed forces. And that will cut down, hopefully, suicide rate, homelessness, alcoholics, drug take and everything because the army is dipping a hand in their pocket and helping you get counselling, helping you get housing, helping you stop suicide stuff. Yeah. And that's what they should do. Mm. Massively. 100%. Never, ever, ever fucking happen. Never fucking happen. And even if you've got a petition together with 10,000 signatures in it. Still won't happen. And then it goes to Parliament. Still won't fucking happen. Yeah. Still won't happen. There's a famous picture, isn't there? Um, it was on my Instagram of the Houses of Commons. Mm. And it was packed. Absolutely packed. Standing room only. And even that you had to squeeze in. In the Houses of Commons. It's quite a big place. Mm. And there's another picture with six or seven people on the seats. All right? One was for veteran suicide. The other one's for MPs pay. I'll let you figure out which one's the MPs pay was. Mm. And that's on my Instagram, that yeah, picture. Yeah. And I always say it fucking disgusts me. Because, yeah, it's, it's no one... Has anyone petitioned for this? Has anyone grabbed this by no. the, like, you're someone, a big character like yourself or a big Phil Campion or someone to say, we need to do something about this. We need to get no one money in, back into the system for our... Because it will never fucking happen. It will never happen. Mm. And whatever money something gets spent on, it will get sucked up in something else. Mm. It doesn't get 100% on that soldier, you know. On if, when you left in 2013, did you leave with a pension? Yeah, I left with a pension. I had to fight for my pension. You did? Yeah, I had to fight for it. Why would they not just give it to you off the bat? I tell you what, there's a new pension, there's a new pension scheme out now. Yeah. Uh, it's 2000 and something pension scheme. So when I joined in the 90s, I was in the 2000 and sorry, the 1974-73 pension which was a good pension. And then he bought the 2000 pension in. So when you join the army now, mm. you're automatically on the 2000 pension. But the 1970s pension, it starts straight as you've finished 22 years, colour mm. service, mm. you get your pension, start straight away. Now, this 2000, it starts when you're 60 odd or 65 mm. because they've worked out that soldiers die between yeah. 60 and 70. Yeah. So they're saving themselves money. Yeah. That's and wrong. if no, and if people go, no, Craig, it's not like, yeah. of course it fucking is. Yeah. It's conspiracies, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it is. They're saving themselves money. Why did you have to fight for your pension? Because I got, I got um, misdiagnosed 
with my brain trauma yeah i've got and they they didn't give me the full amount that i was entitled to so i went to court twice to fight for my pension and i think it was two years ago i won my case i won my case yeah because i remember the first court hearing i went to the judge i stood up i was in a suit hair nice shaved mm. Tie, regimental sniper mm. tie, suit on, everything. And I stood there and she goes, Do you want Mr. Harrison? You seem a capable young man. I went, Okay. I said, You don't fucking know me. Mm. And she goes, Mr. Harrison. I said, You don't fucking know me. Mm. You don't know what I go through every fucking day. And my solicitor, who I took with me, he said, You should have tipped there with scruffy hair, not shaven, tie undone. Mm fucking food marks mm. on your suit and you would have got that mm. why have I got to pretend some of that I'm not I'm a smart fucking proud man yeah you know yeah I, I had to fight for mine Most so, people, some people have to fight for it yeah so you give know? an example of how much a pension was before you had to fight for it per month how much would they give you once you've I don't know my wife deals with all that R- like a rough, get, so we know a rough amount so I think it was about 800 pounds it's all tax-free. So you get 800 quid a month guaranteed, and then you are like, hold on, I'm fighting this. I, I need more than this yeah, to live. Yeah. And what is it today? Um, you, you, Well, you can get up to about two grand. Okay. Yeah. You can get up to about two grand. You get other stuff added on yeah. to that because you're entitled to stuff. But yeah, it's... it's and you have to fight for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. After fighting for your country and yeah, saving yeah. Yep. hundreds of hundreds of our men. Yeah. They don't. They don't fucking care. Yeah. Once you leave the army, I see you you're just a spat out. Yeah, exactly. You're just a civilian now, and you just got to fend for yourself. It's weird leaving the army because you don't. You got to pay bills. Yeah. They don't teach you that. I know yeah. it's stupid because <clears throat> you're mm. you're an adult, but they don't teach you that. Mm. You know, and stuff like it's weird. It's just you just get fucking hoofed out. Do you ever feel lost when you left the army? Massively. I still feel lost now. Yeah. Yeah, purpose. You know, I sit in my car sometimes and I cry and I ring Tanya up. She goes, you okay? And I said, yeah. I call it having a wobble. Yeah. So I'm having a wobble. And I sit and cry and cry and cry and scream and shout. Sometimes I lose my voice school gets all husky because I'm shouting so much, you know, because I just want to fucking let loose. And I, yeah, I feel massively. In the army, I joined when I was 16. Yeah. You know, and left when you were. I done twenty three years. I done a thing called Veng, which you, after you're twenty two years, you sign on for another five, mm. and um, that's what I signed up for. That's why I done twenty three, and um, but yeah, I miss it. Fucking every single fucking day, I miss it. Even the bullshit, I miss. It's, it gives you a sense of purpose. Is there no way? Is there no angle for you to get back in? Is there no angle whatsoever to be involved with the army again and lead from the front, not going into dangerous places, but leading the front, teaching or get... Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to be at the sniper school because down in Bovington where they teach... T- Just up tank- down here in Bovington. Yeah, yeah okay. tank driving. Yeah. That's where we learn to use the CVRTs and all that, and tanks and all that. Um, they got their ex... The instructors are ex-army instructors and they get paid more being a civilian than they do when do, they was yeah. in the army. So they've left the army and become a civilian. Oh, I'd love to go down the sniper school and so teach. So how can we make that happen? Because it's... What's the point? I've got PTSD. Haven't I? So that would mean that oh, you, they wouldn't allow you in there? Yeah, they think I'd go fucking mental with a gun or anything. But it wouldn't. It'd give me a sense of purpose to do something. Do you know, somebody reached out to me from Ukraine, yeah. wanting me to go to Ukraine and teach sniping. 
And then Boris Johnson said, "Oh, anyone going over there gets done for being a terrorist." So I was so tempted. And do you know what Tanya said to me? She goes, "You're broken, Craig. You're broken." I looked in the mirror and I goes, "I am broken." But up here, he's not telling him what this is. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So, isn't it funny? You just wouldn't know. No. Like here today, I just wouldn't know if we hadn't had this conversation. You wouldn't know what's going on in your mind and what you've seen and what mm-hmm. you've done. I daydream. Yeah. But I daydream about shit stuff, negative stuff. You know, I don't daydream like I'm going to have a holiday next year in fucking Barbados or something. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. I just daydream about shit stuff. Example? People I've killed. How could I have done it better? Where would they be now if I didn't do it? Okay. And I always think where those, those women I saw in Kosovo, yeah. what are they doing now? Yeah. I wonder what they're doing now. What you saved they, those women. Yeah. I wonder what their lives are like. You know? It's just... But, yes, you, you can't... I live for today. Yeah. So when I wake up in the morning, and I tell people this, when I wake up in the morning, I put my feet on the floor, and I say it to myself, I'm committed. Mm. I'm committed. And I say it just for today. Yeah. Because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, or next week, or the week after, the month, or the year after. Mm. I want to live for that day. Mm. Once I've done that day, I get up in the morning, the next morning, and go, committed for that day. And I take every day as it comes. Mm. I don't look at the future. I don't know what it's going to hold. I might not be here. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? It does. But I'm not scared of it. You're not scared of death? Not at all. My wife keeps me here. My dog now, Steve, he Mm. keeps me here. Mm. My daughters keep me here. Mm. But it depends how low I go. You know? Horrible, isn't it? It is. I say it all the time to my therapist. Hmm. He says, I'm glad you're here, Craig, today. I'm glad you're here. And you're an absolute hero, Craig. I'm not a hero. I'm not a hero at all. Listening, in my eyes, you are. People who never come back, <clears throat> they're heroes. People who never come back. Hmm. People who have lost their legs and arms, they're heroes. Some days I wish I lost a leg or an arm because maybe I have something to show for my battle scars instead of having mental health or PTSD or having them internal injuries. Because I say to people, I got blown up. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I got blown up. Got shot. Got shot here, shot in the man bag, shot on the helmet. Got fucking wriggled. Wrong place at the wrong time. And they look you up and down. Hmm. Okay? What are you looking for? Fucking missing arm, missing leg. I was lucky. I was lucky. Do you know I was betting over eating a quality street? That's what I saw it do. I was betting over. Yeah. <laughs> quality. I got blown up. It's in a quality street, so I just bent over. Uh, to go like that. Anyway, boom. boom. <laughs> yeah. Let's get quality street sponsoring you. Exactly, yeah. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what makes... Not taking into account your wife... The dog Steve is a daughter. Apart from that, 
What makes you happy? Nothing. I think I run now a bushcraft school called the Maverick Survival School. Yeah. And I set it up for veterans, first of all. And all veterans come down to fears. I don't make any profit from it. And then I realised it's just not veterans that suffer. It's first-line responders that suffer. Civilians suffer. So everyone comes down to the school, you know. And some of them pay, some of them don't. Yeah. Where's that based? Uh, based in Bishop's Waltham, um, in in um, Fairham near Portsmouth. Okay. And um, does that give you purpose? It gives me something. Does that make you happy? Passing my knowledge on to others. But there's different types of happiness, isn't there? Mm. There's happiness where you're. <laughs> pardon me. There's happiness where. You're happy, you're making other people happy. Yeah. But you take my mask off that I live behind every fucking day. I'm not happy. Other people are happy. Good actor. Yeah. Good actor. You know. That's what you become a yeah. good actor. Until sometimes your your mask slips off, and you people see how ugly it, you, you not you are, but how ugly the PTSD is, and how much depression has got hold of you. Yeah, you don't want, like you say you wouldn't think sitting here with me, no. but I'm a good actor. Yeah, I'm on a lot of medication as well. Do you believe in the medication? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And I say to anybody that's suffering with PTSD or mental health, it's not the fucking answer. Yeah. It's not the answer, but it helps. Yeah. Put you on that even kill, stop you dropping. Mm. I'll have that even kill yeah. than a drop. So can you feel, when you've got PTSD, can you feel you dropping? And yeah. that's when you go, right, give me the, and yeah. then to bring me back again. Yeah. And you, how long does it take that feeling to come back to like that again? I went cold, I went cold turkey for one day. And I was fucked. Yeah, Tony, I was crying. Yeah, for one day. And I took my meds, because they fucked my meds up at the pharmacy. So I missed a day. And um, yeah, the next day I felt fine. Just loaded back up again. You know? I know you say you got a therapist every Thursday. Have you looked further afield at all? Or are you just happy with your Thursday therapy? Is there further afield that if anyone listening out there can help and and unlock and try to find some happiness within you or to help deal with the trauma that you've gone through? Have we looked have you looked further afield at all? People have offered yeah. to do stuff. Um but Ross helps me a lot and he helps me understand things, you know. And you can't have too much therapy because if you have one therapist telling you to do something mm. else, and another therapist, another therapist, another therapist, you're gonna, you, you, no one's got any synchronization in what you're doing. Is there no one who's top of their game dealing with this? Someone in America or someone in Great Britain is at the top of their game dealing with people who've seen and been around serious trauma. But you got to pay for it. You got to pay for it, and some of these veterans that are homeless or, or out and about or stuff like that, you got to pay for it. These little charities. If I'm talking, I'm talking personally for you. Are you saying you've still got to pay for it and you can't afford to pay for it, yeah. if they, even if there was someone? Yeah, a lot of money, therapy, a lot of money. I what know, sort of money? I know somebody who spends two hundred and fifty quid a week, a week mm. on therapy. 
and they travel to London. Would you pay? If, if, what would if, I fuck? No. Two hundred and fifty quid. If it was paid for you, if two hundred and fifty quid was paid for you, knowing that this could be the key to opening up the happiness within your soul and dealing with the trauma that's right, gone on. I'll tell, tell you one thing, all right? Yeah. Um, therapy. Yeah. Okay. They only give you a certain amount of sittings. That's it. Ross, I've been seeing him for four years. Yeah. All right. And I see him and many times. I can see him every single day if I want. Yeah. And I pay him. And he doesn't look at the clock like this. Yeah. Or go, which I've seen therapists do. And yeah. I go, and I always say, well, what can you watch for? Have I got to go? Mm. And I, I, I turn it on them. Yeah. Well, you've only got an hour. That's all I've got is an hour. Mm. Ross, I can stay for two, three, four, five, yeah. six hours. If I'm it, in the it shit sounds time. perfect for you, Ross. Oh, massively. Yeah. But then you go to these other therapists and they says, right, I went to a one charity, all right, before I met Ross, mm. and I was seeing them um, for four or five months. And they said, do you know, Craig, you've had eight sessions with us. We only do six. We've given you eight sessions or 10 sessions, something like that. And they said, we've given you extra sessions because we think you needed it. I said, okay. And it's because what's going to happen now, Craig, is you've got to reapply. And then within six months, if you haven't heard anything, come back and we're sort of, I could be swinging from a fucking tree by then. Mm. Yet they, they publicize themselves as a charity mm. and they want money coming in and this coming in and that coming in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I don't sharpen an ax, but I'm very bitter. Mm. Very bitter. And but, that's, I'm at the moment getting my school as a charity. Yeah. So everybody could come free. Yeah. Good for my, you, man. Yeah. And it'd be non-profit. Yeah. Any money that anyone donates to the school would go into buy equipment, go into buy more land, get the wood block bigger, stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what I want it to do, because it's shut down at the moment. Because I shut down in October till March, and then reopened again for the year. Yeah. I'm fully booked March, fully booked April, halfway through May. I'm nearly fully booked. Brilliant. Yeah. But I just word of mouth, people mm. coming down, stuff like that. And it, you know, we start a Friday night, we finish Sunday afternoon. We just do everything to do with bushcraft. And on that Friday night to that Sunday afternoon, you giving your knowledge to people, does that make you happy? It does. Yeah. But there's two different types of happiness. Go on. Like I said, there's two different types. There's ones where you can pass your knowledge over and you, you're chuffed to yourself. You think, yeah. I want to learn. I want people to teach. So I want people to learn yeah. off me, you know? And there's depression happiness where you're just not happy with yourself. You just don't like yourself. And you're like, oh, okay. So when they go off their tents, Tanya said, Craig, you gotta stay up a bit later. Because uh, I like being on my own. Yeah. I go to my tent and I get my head down at night, early, sometimes after seven, eight o'clock. And people are around the campfire. And she says, I have to mingle more. But I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, mm. and I've always, she goes, you've always been like that. You know, mm. and I said, yeah. Good. Craig, where can people find your business here? How can we have, how can we let people know about it? Where so you can, can go, go onto the Google and then just put the Maverick Survival School. Yeah. And it will come up straight away. And then all the information's there. There's an email there as well. And that goes straight to my email. And I'll answer you, send you some dates. And if you want to come down, you come down. Fantastic. Yeah. You don't need to bring any <clears throat> kit if you don't need to. I've got loads of kit. Um, I lend people for the, no point dipping your hand in your pocket to mm. get expensive. I've got tent, sleeping bag, roll mats, 
pots, pans, everything for you. Mm. So you just come down and enjoy the weekend, you know. And that respite that you get, people are grateful for it. Yeah, no matter people say you saved my life, Craig, for what you've talked about. And what's good about my school is Ross comes down. Yeah. And he comes down on a Saturday night and talks and talks to everyone. Brilliant. And if you want to talk to him privately, you go for a little walk. And he's got a little circuit he does. So if you have a long talk, he goes on a long walk. <laughs> if you've got a little talk, he goes yeah, a little yeah, walk. Yeah. And, he, and he gives you advice. And yeah. he's he's in, you know, he's in contact with lads and asses now that mm. still that have, you know, that he does off his own back as well yeah. to help veterans and people that are struggling. You know, and that's what's different about my school. Mm. It's weird because Friday they tip up. You don't know each other, and people are talking and introducing themselves and everything like that. Saturday night, you can't shut the fuck up. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> I get into do stuff like team stuff, team yeah. building stuff, like tracking and stuff like that, and everyone gets involved. Yeah. So everyone gets, everyone starts talking. Brilliant. You know, and that's what's all about. That's what the Maverick School is all about: bringing people together. And do you find, like speaking now, you feel better for letting things out? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but some some stuff I bottle up. Some stuff I bottle up and keep to myself. People don't need to know. Yeah. Ross knows. Yeah. Tanya knows. That's all they need to know. Yeah. You know. It's life, isn't it? You're a real special person, Craig. I don't feel it. Tanya says that to me. You are. I'm just me. I'm just me. And like I said, I'm grateful for being here today. Mm. And I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll be grateful for tomorrow as well. Mm. You know? Yeah. Craig, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Go on my Instagram. Um, C-O-H Craig Harrison. And then put in there, I answer. Tanya helps me a lot do my Instagram. Yeah. But we answer every single yeah. message. Every single message. Yeah. I've got over 30,000 followers. Brilliant. And I must have talked to every single one of them. Yeah. I haven't ignored one of them. And if I have, I will get to you. Yeah. I apologise. But yeah, I, I answer everybody. Anyone listening out there or watching, please reach out to Craig. I haven't got the answer. Yeah. Not at all. I don't think no one's got the answer. Mm. But sometimes I can relieve your pain a little bit. Yeah. And there might be someone out there, Craig, who reaches out, who may be able to relieve you a bit of pain as well. We yeah. don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Craig, I've really, really enjoyed this. It's been a deep and emotional one. Yeah. I really thank you for your honesty. And no worries. You are a superhero. No, I'm not. In my eyes, you are. <laughs> in my eyes, you thank are. Thank you anyway. Yeah, and I thank you for your honesty and coming on, and I'm really glad we've done this episode. Mm. Yeah? Good. You're a proper gentleman. Thank you. Good man, mate. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Fucking oh, hell, mate. Mate. <laughs> mate. Fucking hell, that was amazing. Thank you. That was fucking amazing, mate. <laughs> wow. 180 episodes we've done. That was amazing, mate. Like I say, I'll take every day. Yeah, I can see that. Every day. Mm. And tomorrow will be a blessing. Yeah. That's it. Don't do anything like you've got a beautiful wife and daughter and Steve the dog. But I'm saying you, yeah. you, you, um, <clears throat> you come very selfish. Anyway, I can only go on from me. You look, look like a superhero, and I know you say no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. 
but you are. <laughs> yeah, I've done some things in my life. Yeah, you have. You've certainly lived an eventful life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Fucking hell, mate. That was so powerful. Thank you. So powerful. Thank you. No, thank you, Craig. That was unbelievable, mate. I've never had an episode like that after 180 episodes. Hmm. That's real. Mate, good man. Cool. I feel like I've got to know you, like, you know. Wow.